Welcome to our 2022 Christmas special. This is episode 260. I am Sean, and with me always, of course, is my fearless sidekick and lovable co-host, Preston. Presto, how are you, buddy? I'm pretty good. What's up, all you cool ghosts and goblins, you crocodiles and crocodingos and skeletors and skeletettes? And I'm so sorry for that two minute and fifty two second <laughs> intro. <laughs> Jesus, boy, howdy! H. Um, what is going on there, man? I thought we were just doing the original intro. I forgot that you had the uh, old Christmas one. So I don't know what the hell is going yeah, on. Yeah, buddy, so. you sent it to and, me. Uh, that's funny. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah. I'm just sitting there watching the counter go down like, oh, two minutes and 52 seconds later. Here we go. Man, look at that. Here we go. Well, buddy, here we are again. It's Christmas. The trees are all decorated. The presents are all wrapped with care and the lights. They're all twinkling along our rooftops and... Out in our yards, the 20-foot-tall inflatable snowmen and reindeer are just flopping around with total disregard. So that must mean Christmas is upon us. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and as the stockings have all been hung with care and mistletoes have been hung in strategic places, we're back. Well, let's not waste any time. How about we start things off with a little winter-themed news? Workers making salt brine at the State Transportation Department salt facility in McEwen, Tennessee, were making preparations for inclement weather last Thursday on the 15th when they made a startling discovery. They found a human heart in a giant pile of salt. An investigation is underway like none other in an absolutely bizarre case. This comes after the gruesome discovery, of course, of a human heart at the Tennessee Department of Transportation Salt Barn. Now, the case is being treated as a homicide, which is now in the hands of Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. They'll be working on determining whether or not the heart 
was from a homicide victim, where it came from, who it came from, and just what exactly is going on. Now, oddly enough, they found no other remains, and the heart was discovered by workers of the transportation barn. At first, they thought it was a big rock, but instead, after cleaning it off, they realized it was a whole human heart that must have been in the salt long enough to completely dehydrate. A heart doesn't naturally leave the body as part of the decaying process, so clearly there's some human involvement here. And now it's a question as if it's criminal in nature or not. I'm going to err on the side of, yeah, that's fucking weird. The Morton Salt Barn provides enough bulk salt for the roads of Tennessee and draws from more than 20 facilities across the country. So that's going to be a big problem. you got 20 different states that it may have came from. But for now, there's no evidence the heart came from any of those other facilities, so a crime lab has been set up. DNA sampling, of course, is afoot, and they're trying to now determine where exactly the heart has come from. The Ugh. Grinch. The Grinch that sold Christmas. <laughs> Problem solved, buddy. Problem solved. We'll be here all night, folks. <laughs> I'm a detective. Well, up next, Santa Slay could technically fly with an engine built like NASA's Saturn V rocket, says a new study. Santa Claus needs more than his reindeer to fly. That's why a new study has been published from the University of Leicester's Physics Special Topics Journal, claiming that Santa's sleigh could actually fly with major advancements similar to those of the NASA Saturn V rocket. The physics students beyond the study were inspired by the scene in, in the 2003 Elf movie in which Santa harnesses a jet engine to fly his sleigh. The students wanted to create a simple model addressing what exactly could keep a sleigh from flying under such circumstances. Their calculations took into account the mass of the sleigh and the load of presents, but it left out the mass of the reindeer and Santa, which the author said is negligible. It's assumed the Santa sleigh is a 19th century British naval sled weighing approximately 1,400 pounds, modified with wings attached to both sides from a Boeing 747. I love science. The weight of the sled needs to be balanced by a lift, and when air flows over the wings at a lower pressure than the air flowing under it, it could create lift. But in order to produce enough lift during Santa's Christmas Eve flight, the sleigh would have to move at about 10 times the speed of sound, i.e. 12,300 miles per hour. Or, I'm just going to throw it out there, that it just needs mm -hmm. a little thing called North Pole Magic Baby Fuck Science. Ooh. We don't need any of that jazz up in here. <laughs> All right, now to lighten the mood as if it wasn't light enough. In our last news story, doctors warn against the surprisingly triple Xmas trend and say, please do not masturbate with Christmas tree ornaments. That's right. Get your jollies a different way. A United Kingdom doctor is raising eyebrows across social media by warning people of the dangers of masturbating with ornaments come Christmas time, which apparently is a new weird viral trend. Huh. It's not advisable to masturbate with Christmas tree ornaments, says Dr. Sarah Welsh, a gynecologist. She was listing the dildos and dildons <laughs> of a scandalous yuletide tradition which sees people hospitalized after getting their jollies off with everything from glass baubles to candy canes. Indeed, trying to make Christmas come early with the ornaments is apparently hazardous to one's health. Christmas ornaments can have sharp aspects or pieces that can break off during the act, which can cause soreness, the risk of trauma, and are just generally unsuitable for your downstairs. Even Christmas confections can pose a threat due to hygiene issues when concerned about pieces of candy breaking off. The gyno warned holiday pleasure hunters anything with sugar in it or as Christmas confectionery should also stay well away from your downstairs area. <sighs> so that's it, folks. Get your holly jollies somewhere it's else. It's like that show on TLC that was uh, Sex Sent Me to the ER and uh, somebody had like <laughs> melted like a 
you know, like a 10-pound gummy was, like, trying to pour it on, but then, like, it got too hot. What? Yeah, and so she had to go to the hospital with, like, three-degree burns with her boyfriend, and they're like, what happened? And like, well, we were getting freaky in the bedroom, and this idiot melted a gummy bear in the microwave and poured it on me, and uh, (laughs) I was screaming in the wrong way, buddy. I can imagine that happening with, like, a a gingerbread cookie or, like, some... uh, you know, ginger house frosting, like somebody trying to heat it up and spice it up. Um, you know what? Uh-huh. Get your kink off in a safe way. <laughs> St- stop using the holly jelly fat, man. Come on now. Oh, boy, howdy. But you know what? And, uh, John- That's the beauty of the internet, isn't it, uh, John on YouTube says, uh, break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, boy. boy. It melts in your mouth and in your... Vagina. <laughs> well, Preston, the temperatures for many of us are falling and the snow is beginning to pile up as the chill of the wind grows colder and begins cutting like a knife. Mm. And while we're filled with the holiday spirit, we can't seem to shake the feeling that something's out there and it's waiting and it's watching our every move, buddy. Mm. And while we've been here before, just a few different times to warn you about the terrors that come along with old Saint Nick. Like back in 2016, we talked about the cruel, creepy characters like Krampus and Der Schnickel, who might stuff you in a basket and carry you off to your doom. And Frau Perchta, who's been known to cut you open and stuff your belly full of trash and the other dirt she sweeps up from your dirty, dirty floor. Then we came back last year in 2021 to tell you terrifying tales of Hans Tropp, the holiday scarecrow that similarly, wouldn't you know it, cuts your belly open and stuffs you full of straw, making you your very own Christmas scarecrow. Or the Mari Lute, the horse-headed phantom who kicks down your front door and lets itself in to eat all your holiday leftovers and drink all your booze. Scream, surprise, motherfucker! I'm here. Party. <laughs> Where's the fries, motherfucker? <sighs> well, even though we've tried to warn you and prepare you the best way we can, try as we might, it seems as though there's still even more lurking evil out there in the cold. It's watching. And it's waiting. And so, so are we. And we're back once again with another fresh batch of terrifying tales for 2022's Christmas special even more winter spirits to chill your bones. Brr. Mm-hmm. It is chilly out there, too, buddy boy. It's like, what, 20 degrees? And I think on Thursday it's supposed to be 3 yeah. degrees. Daddy's had the fireplace going all day long, so I just Have you? keep throwing a log on that bad boy. Oh, man, I bet so. Well, before we get into it, buddy, what do you, uh, what kind of suds you sucking on tonight? Anything festive? The French toast bastard, uh, vanilla, cinnamon, maple, barrel, bourbon aged Scotch ale that doesn't have a Santa Claus on it, but I mean, it's got a Santa <laughs> Claus esque looking hobo in the woods sort of thing. So I mean, it's cri- okay. It's Christmassy, yeah. you know. Why not? Like a little hobgoblin or a Yule Nisi gnome. Yeah. Well, I'm working on a drunken Santa barrel-aged London ale, and uh, Santa's been partying a little too hard, and now he's ho-ho-heaving into somebody's chimney. Yeah. Had I had I known when he gave me that the other night that you were wanting to save those for tonight's episode, I probably wouldn't have been a child and, like, <laughs> drank it right away. But it's, like, Christmas, hey, and right, I'm like, drink, drink, drink. And, you know, I'm here. Yeah. To, it, it's, eh, it's tasty. It's good, you know? Yeah, it was delicious. And also, you know, you should have been celebrating because I think it's worth noting, you, sir, had a little promotion we should talk about real quick before we get things started. Yeah. You're now the Grand Poobah. I uh, was elected and installed as Worshipful Master of Pyramid Lodge number 451 for the upcoming 2023 year. So uh, it's uh, really an honor to be able to serve the brethren in that capacity and... uh, uh, the installation went well. It was a nice, nice night. Uh, no complaints here. Hell yeah, man. I, uh, I'm real proud of you. And again, thanks for inviting us there too, man. That was a very nice, uh, glimpse into the masonry and, uh, 
it's really nice being there to see you, buddy, and yeah. to uh, support you. So I'm super proud of you. Thank you. And uh, unfortunately, um, it's just the two of us tonight on this episode, but I did bring along a festively decorated Elliot. That oh. is our alien gray there in the background. Yeah. Well, buddy, being as though we've covered countless monsters from Europe folklore, this time around, you kind of switched it up on us. Um, we both talked a little bit about what we should do this year for Christmas. And it looks like you brought a whole heap of nasty baddies from one of your favorite topics and favorite wells to pull from. Yeah. Uh, following the same narrative as last episode, you're pulling from Native American folklore this time around, so why not get into it? Yeah, but we, we got to hold up for a second because um, in doing the research for my Native American folklore, because there's not a whole lot of Native American winter spirits. There's fucking one. However... I I found a I found a website that was like Native Americans celebrate Christmas and then it turned into like a whole history of Christmas and I was like holy shit I didn't know any of this as if I don't know it you don't know it clearly the listeners don't know it so I prepared a little Christmas history lesson Are you ready Hmm Grab it and growl, buddy. There we go. Christmas was first added to the Roman Catholic Church calendar as a religious feast day in the 4th century A.D. But Christmas is not the only celebration held around this time of year. That's right. December 25th was a significant date for various early cultures. The ancient Babylons believed the son of the Queen of Heaven was born on December 25th. The Egyptians celebrated the birth of the son of the fertility goddess Isis on that same date, while ancient Arabs contended that the moon was born on December 24th. Hmm. The Romans Hmm. celebrated Saturnalia, a feast named for the god Saturn, the god of agriculture, on December 21st. And... I mean, I always thought, growing up in the old U.S. of A., we've always celebrated Christmas. That is not so. Christmas wasn't always celebrated in the United States the way it was today. In fact, Puritans of Massachusetts banned the observance of Christmas. Anyone caught observing the holiday had to pay a fine. Jackass. Connecticut had a law forbidding the (laughs) celebration of Christmas and the baking of mince meat pies, which... The second part of that I can agree with. Those are gross. Mm -hmm. Before the Civil War, the North and the South were divided on the issue of Christmas, just like many other things. Most Northerners thought it was a sinful display, while Southerners saw it as an important social occasion. They were just there to fucking party, man. (laughs) That's that's what it was. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Me too. The first three states to make Christmas a legal holiday in the South were Alabama in 1836, Louisiana and Arkansas in 1838, and it did not become a U.S. national holiday until 1870. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Countless legends are told about the patron saint of giving known as St. Nicholas. He's been the patron saint of Russia, Moscow, Greece, children, Sailors, because fuck, they need all the help that they can get. Prisoners, bakers, <laughs> pawnbrokers, shopkeepers, and oddly enough, wolves. I don't know where that came in, but we're going to roll with it. Yeah, might as well. Yeah. And there's a fuck ton of names for this guy around the world. In Belgium, Santa is known as Para Noel. In Brazil, Poppy Noel. Chile is Vijo Pasquero, Old Man Christmas. In China, Dunchi Lao Rin, Christmas Old Man. In uh, the Dutch <laughs> culture, Sinterklaas, the Netherlands, Sinterklaas. Christman, Finland, Julupuki, which means Yule Buck. In France, he's <laughs> Pierre Noel. Germany, mm-hmm. we have Watchnots Man or Chris Kringle. Well, that's kind of lame. Hawaii, yeah. it's uh, Kanako Laka. Hungary is Maikulis. Italy, Baba Natale. Japan is Hitrosho, a god priest 
who bears gifts. I actually kind of like that one. That, that one... sounded very Russian. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I can't pronounce things right and I can't do accents. So we're going to go with it. Uh, you were doing really great until you got to Japan. Yeah. You know what? We'll allow it. Uh, Norway, uh, Huli Nissen, the Christmas gnome. Yule Nissen. Yule Nissen. Yeah, which is just like the Yule Nissen gnomes. Yeah. Morocco, by far my favorite one. Black Peter. Black Peter. It just gets to the point right there, dude. Man, it reminds me of the episode of The Office and one of their Christmas specials where um, Dwight's cousin came dressed as Black Peter and had a very, very <laughs> um, terrible black face painted on. Oh. And was told to leave before he got mad. <laughs> yeah, as it should have been. <laughs> um, I'm gonna let you take um, a. I'm gonna let you take a stab at the uh, Poland one, sweaty <laughs> Malika. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Sviti Malikov. There you go. Um, Sviti Mikolov. Yeah, we got in Russia the dead Morzo, uh, Sweden, Hulupmin, and Turkey, mm -hmm. the Hagos Nikolos, uh, which uh, is the Greek for Bishop of Myra. That oh, one's kind of okay. actually. Okay. That one's uh, kind of. Kind of lame, but the Sweden one, the uh, what do we say? Who uh, Yolman, Yoltaman, Sweden, Sweden, Sweden. Let's get back to Sweden. That's the uh, second Yoltaman Christmas brownie, Christmas brownie. <laughs> now, brownie in the uh, like a dwarf, like a, a, a dwarf or a uh, uh, what, what, what the what the the British call the house gnomes brownies. So, yeah. is, is yeah. it a is it uh, was the Christmas spirit? being derogatory or was it edible <laughs> was it was it the gift that kept on giving a little christmas brownie i mean it could have yeah a little mush, mushroom christmas brownie no i think that's what it is man i think it's uh taking from some of the other you know gnome like uh like norway taking some of that gnome uh, nomenclature pardon the pun you know the brownies were little elves so he was like a little sprite because if you remember yeah. uh when we were talking with um global strangeness with scott and deborah and jeremy um we mentioned how originally Santa Claus was kind of this weird, like hunched over little gnome with a pointy little hat. So, yep, I think we're thinking about that. We're thinking about that kind of brownie. Yeah. Well, that's what I got for the history of Christmas and the many numerous names for the entity known as Santa Claus. Now mm -hmm. on to the Native American spirit that I found, which is the story was titled A Cursed Former Tribe Member, The Flying Head seeks vengeance for the murder of elders. The tale of the flying head, or also known as Big Head, is a cannibalistic monster belonging to the mythology of the Iroquois or Wyandot peoples of North America, appearing as an antagonist in numerous stories and legends. According to native folklore, during an especially severe winter prior to European arrival, an unknown tribe in New York State was suffering a famine. The young men wished to move the tribe across a great lake to seek new opportunities, while the older men, believing the famine was a punishment for their crimes by the spirits, desired to stay and, and endure. Enraged by the old men's stubbornness, the young men killed them. Fuck those guys, they're old. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> they're sitting there walloping off heads, um, decapitating bodies, dropping everything into the lake. However... One of the young men involved in the massacre became entangled in a pile of heads, falling into the lake and drowning. From the lake arose a giant head, taller than a man, coated in thick black hair, possessing wings and talons which would perpetually hunt and haunt the tribe. After destroying mm -hmm. those responsible for the murders, the flying head began terrorizing other tribes, during which time the... Uh, Iroquois faced the demon. After being plagued for many years by the monster, including a famous folktale in which a young Ouija Ottawime Ottawim Ojibwe? Yeah, there you go. Hunter's dogs sacrificed themselves to save their master from the beast. A woman roasting acorns on an open fire was visited by the creature. Believing she was eating live coals, the flying uh, flying head grew terrified 
at the strength of the Iroquois people and fled never to return. Hmm. Maybe that's how we got the song Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, you know? Keep that shit going. <laughs> it's about warding off demon heads. Yeah, I yeah. believe it. The hill where the unknown tribe's village was located is widely considered cursed by native people. Three hotels have... Oh, shit. There we go again with the hotels. Have been built on the sacred site in modern times, and each one has suffered a short and unsuccessful lifespan before mysteriously burning to the fucking ground, naturally <laughs> reinforcing the superstition. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. You know... Native Americans got their yeah. winter spirits, too, and it ain't pleasant. But anyways, oh. I found this Turkish guy <laughs> that we've never covered before. I'm, like, sitting there going through websites, okay. and I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, it sounded familiar because we did um, that uh, 2016 episode. We talked about the Kilikonkos, which are those little fucking hellish demons uh -huh. in Greece that go around. And it turns out they're fucking yeah. stupid. They're stupid because if you're getting plagued by them, you just open up your door and like throw out like, f you know, a dozen dirty shoes or like some lima beans on mm -hmm. the ground. And they're like, wait a minute, we got to count. We Is it one, two, three, four? And then in the middle of counting, oh. you just start throwing out some more. And they're like, oh, shit, James, we, we, we lost count. What do we do? Well, God damn it, Billy, just start over. Those guys. Yep. Anyways, the Turkish people they're just like i mean their demon spirit winter demon kind of sounded like that so they gave it a very similar name a karank konkolos which is a malevolent creature from the northeast anatolian turkish and bulgarian folklore it is a variety of boogeyman usually troublesome and rather harmless however Sometimes, especially during winter, it can be a true bastard. The Crank Concolos mm. is generally portrayed as a cross between the devil and a Sasquatch. So imagine Satan came up from hell one Christmas Eve, and he's out there in the Turkish woods, and uh, lo and behold was a female Sasquatch. And he was like, well, hey, baby, what are you doing, mama? Ooh, la, la. And they were, uh, you know, making some... Uh, you know, sweet, sweet, devilish love by the Turkish Christmas. delight, you might call it. Yeah, Turkish delight by the fire, and out came this bastard nine months later. <laughs> and as I stated earlier, the name probably comes from the Greek Kili Kanzaros, which we covered in the 2016 episodes. So it makes me think of that song Devil Went Down to Georgia, but instead it was Devil Went Down to Turkey, he was looking for a squash to fuck. Oh, yep. Uh, Nine months later, he was shit out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, right, yep. High and dry. And High and dry. So according to late Ottoman Turkish myth, they appear on the first ten days of Zimhiri, the dreadful cold. Wherein they stand on murky corners and ask seemingly ordinary questions to the passerbys. So, in order to escape harm, one should answer each question using the word kara, the Turkish word for black, or risk being struck to death by the creature. So, for example, hmm. Sean, you and I are in the Ottoman Empire, and uh, mm -hmm. we're out about Christmas Eve, and uh, I'll go first. And uh, okay. there is a devilish looking creature standing in the corner and he's like, uh, excuse me, good sir. Could you tell me what the coldest night of the year is? And I think about it for a second. I'm like, oh, it's easy. It's the blackest Tuesday there ever was, which was last uh, week. Boom. Safe. He shakes my hands, sends me along my way. Up comes Sean walking down the street whistling twirling his little cane around with his little top hat and he's like oh, excuse me sir could you tell me what the coldest night of the year is sean being a dapper bastard it's like fuck it was last wednesday boom with the cane off with the head shoves your body <laughs> in a bag and drags you to hell that's how it happens fair yeah fair i like it i like yeah it, it is also <laughs> said in uh, turkish folklore that the uh, Kara Krankolos could call people out during the cold Zamiri nights 
and imitating the voice of the of the loved ones. Uh, the victims risk freezing to death if he or she could not awake from this charm. The Bulgarian mm. name of the creature, I'm not even going to fucking try to pronounce that. Anyways. Ooh, but you should. It's Christmas. It's Karka Kunduli. Karka Kundul? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's close enough. Anyways, there's like a ritual or a custom that is used to scare away the creature um, and to avoid contact with it, and it's called the kukri, which is also a fucking knife um, that's like S-shaped that you can cut people with and gut them. I think that's kind of like a weird... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's a weird coincidence that it's the name of a weapon, but also the name of a ritual to get rid of this half-devil, half-sasquatch fucker that it's going to beat your ass and then the Christmas Eve... So, anyways, onto your mean, shit. Sometimes you just got to get a bigger knife. Yeah. Well, I thought it was funny, number one, because we talked about, you know, a giant flying Native American demon head. It sounds a lot like the Okubi, which was the giant head uh, yokai. They appear as enormous severed heads which fly around through the sky. Uh, in most accounts, a female in appearance. But, yeah, they're little to no threat. They're kind of just like, yeah, hey, we're up here just doing our thing. But yeah, I find that a lot of Native American um, folklore is very similar to some of the Japanese folklore with the yokai and whatnot. A lot of parallels that I've been seeing. But buddy, speaking of yokai, since you decided you'd switch things up on us and delved into your Native American myth, you inspired me to follow suit, and I decided to dig into one of my recent favorite topics, Japanese folklore. I can't tell and I if recently that watched a is really... a crease in the samurai's pants as he's falling down the mountain, or if that is oh. a <laughs> Japanese pussy, since they like to throw those in there. I mean, you never know. A lot of those artists were very perverted, but yeah, I'll include a uh, an image guide on the old uh, Instagram and the YouTube, but yeah, there's a lot of really great imagery here. Yeah, we should throw in on the Instagram, we should throw in the uh, the AI art when I said severed head floating above lake with long black hair attacking people. <laughs> yes, because like, that was... It must be a hipster, that's what he's talking about, so that's what I'm going to give him. <laughs> yes. I'm guessing Ringo Starr, the later years. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also just finished watching a really awesome trilogy of Japanese horror films, um, 100 Yokai Tales, a.k.a. 100 Monsters. Um, it's a killer series that took place in the late 60s by um, Kimiyoshi Yasuda and special effects done by Yoshiyuki Kuroda. And I bring this up because I mentioned it, I think, before on the show, but it's a trilogy called 100 Monsters, Spook Warfare, and then Along with Ghosts. And they're incredibly fun movies. The special effects for being uh, 1960s practical effects are fantastic. The yokai are phenomenal. And any well, I've been in the yokai mood, so it just felt like I should probably just keep that momentum going. Mm-hmm. And thus, for the third time on the show, I'm bringing back the old yokai. But this time, we're skipping past the warm-weather spirits like the cheeky little water-spitting kappa and the butt-wiping kurote, and we're jumping into the weird, wonderful world of winter yokai. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> so move over, Karaka Dongyul, or whatever that monster was you were talking about. Oh, man, I, that was a way better pronunciation. Yeah, Karaka Kandongjul. You got to put the word yeah. dong in there. Dong jewels. Yeah, just the uh, ruby red testicles. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole heap of other cold weather creeps out there in the dead of night. So, what I want you to do now, folks, is imagine it's the dead of winter, late at night, and you've just settled up your tab at your favorite bar or tavern. And now it's closing time, and even though you've had a few drinks, you do the right thing. And you decide that you're not going to chance it. You're going to leave your car parked at the bar. But instead of calling an Uber or even a Lyft or a friend, you think to yourself, you know what? It's not that far for me to walk home, and it's not even really that cold out. So as the snow's falling and the wind's blowing around you, you pull up your scarf and you put your hands in your pockets, and you start to make your way down the road on your way home on foot. 
And as you hum a familiar song in your head, as you're listening to the crunch of the fresh snow under your boots, you hear the sound of a mother off in the distance calling softly for help. Please, somebody, anybody, it's so cold out of here and my baby is freezing. Very Japanese. <laughs> Probably way safer than trying to do a Japanese oh, accent, so I applaud you, sir. Oh, please, somebody. No, no, any, no, no we're not anybody, doing that. It's so cold. <laughs> no. Oh, and my baby is freezing. Nope. And then you see her off in the distance as she stumbles towards you. And you come upon a poor young woman dressed in a thin white kimono with long, dark hair flowing in the wind. Her fair skin almost appears alabaster as it looks like it's almost glowing in the light of the moon. As she nears closer to you, you also see that she's desperately clutching a small baby close to her chest. And when you make eye contact with her, her face lights up, and she holds out her baby to you, begging for help, begging for you, please, just for a moment to hold the child and keep it warm. And against your better judgment, without thinking, you reach out and accept the shivering child and quickly press your warm cheek against its cold flesh. And then before you know what's happened, however, your skin begins to tingle, your breathing becomes slower, and your limbs lock into place as your blood starts to turn to ice. And you realize you should have just kept your head down, you should have ignored her cries, because those were the cries of the Yuki Omba. But now, it's too late for that, because you're standing there trapped, a frozen meal for the Yuki Onba and her cannibalistic demon offspring, the Yukinko. So the first yokai of the evening is that of the Yuki Onba, the spirit of a vengeful woman sometimes said to be a vampire, sometimes a succubus, and sometimes she's just an angry ghost with a score to settle. Or, according to Paul McCartney, Oko Yono. <laughs> nice one. <Yeah. laughs> we'll allow it. <laughs> of course, this all depends on the area of Japan where the story's coming from. But her legend coming from Hirosaki City in the Amari Prefecture says, On dark and snowy nights, travelers sometimes encounter a poor woman holding tightly to a child, standing in the middle of a forest alone. The woman will approach a man and beg him to hold her freezing child. If the man accepts and holds the child, then he's frozen forever in the spot. Unable to move... The Yuki Onba then laughs as snowdrifts build around the man and freeze him to death. But if the man refuses to hold the child, the consequences are equally deadly, because a Yuki Onba will then pound the man on the head in a rage, driving him into the snow like a hammer hitting a nail. Either way, the man becomes a feast for the Yuki Onba and the demon spawn. But one clever warrior got the better of the Yuki Onba. Accepting the offered child, he also took out his short sword and held it between his teeth. And as he held the child, he pulled its head closer to the dagger. And finally, when the sword was a hair's breadth away from slicing the child, the trembling mother asked the man to please return her child and the warrior did just that and returned the child to the frozen mother who wept with joy. Then the Yuki Onba was so grateful, she showed the warrior gold and gifted him. Sorry, she showered him. I, that's a typo on my part. Showered him with gold or and gifts from the supernatural. A golden shower. We don't know. <laughs> we <weren't there>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pixar, it never happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> Another telling of the story, though, comes from Miyagi Prefecture, where a group of samurai were on duty, guarding the borders of their lord's town. They camped in the forest and huddled around the fire at night just to keep warm. And as they sat around the fire, they started swapping tales, as you do. One samurai said, The woods that they sat on that very night were terrorized by the Yuki Onba. 
and that she had been seen only recently. His companions, of course, laughed and chided him for believing children's tales. But eventually, one of the warriors excused himself and headed off in the dark forest to take a leak. And as he went further into the darkness of the forest, he noticed the dim outline of a beautiful woman clutching what appeared to be a baby. So he approached cautiously and saw the woman was crying. She asked the samurai, please, to hold the child to protect him from the cold. The samurai, being captivated by the woman's beauty, was so moved by the sympathy of the scene he was in, he took the baby into his arms. And then to his surprise, the child is colder than the very snow surrounding him, and it stuck fast to his arms. He couldn't put it down no matter how hard he tried, and the child slowly began to grow heavier and heavier, causing the warrior to fall down to his knees under the sheer weight. The last thing he ever saw on earth as a child began to grow and grow was the woman's tear-filled face slowly turning to a broad, grim, growling smile across her face. The next morning, his companions found him frozen solid, clutching a giant icicle, which I like to imagine was his pecker because he was peeing out there in the snow. Oh! Mm-hmm. After other encounters with a deadly Yuki Onba, the samurai were determined to rid the town and set off hunting her into the forest. One warrior came across a tiny child running freely through the snow. So the man was shocked as the child was so small, and he came up only halfway to his knees. So he chased after the child, and then something incredible happened. With every step, the child seemed to grow a little bit bigger, a little bit larger. And soon the kid was past the warrior's waist, and a couple more steps taller than his shoulders, a few more strides, he was as tall as the warrior himself. Suddenly, the boy turned around and grinned, and he kept growling. Right before the warrior's eyes, the kid grew to the size of a snowy house. Stealing his nerves, however, the warrior drew his sword and charged the, the gigantic snow baby, slashing with all his might. Much to his surprise, the baby shattered into a million shards with just one single blow, like a hollow ice sculpture. And then, there was nothing left. Soon after the event, for whatever reason, the Yuki Onba and her child were never seen in the forest and they were finally rid of the terrible yokai. Now there's also a similarly alternative version of the Yoki Onba called the Yoki Ona, which Preston, again, very similar to your joke. Good yeah, on you. yeah. The Yokiona, in some cases, is the same entity, but in other stories, she's actually a totally different yokai altogether. Sucks the life out of John Yuki... Lennon. Ooh. <laughs> hey <-oh. laughs> the Yokiona is one of Japan's most well-known yokai, with stories of her being a dreadful snow vampire of the mountains, all the way down to being a loving bride and faithful mother. She'll commonly appear as a beautiful young woman with snow-white skin and long flowing black hair, which contrasts the whiteness of her skin. No matter how cold it is, she's often seen wearing a thin, sheer white kimono, usually described as a summer kimono, being far too light and far too thin for the cold weather. And she's got some icicle nips going on. Like, dude, it's just a bad, <laughs> bad deal all the way around. Let me, In many me, stories, the yeah. kimono is pale enough. <laughs> let, me, let me warm up those nipsicles. <laughs> uh. You're kind of skipping ahead to a different yoka, so you're not really too far off. Oh. In oh. many stories, the kimono's <laughs> In many stories, the kimono's pale enough to be translucent, with the garment thus exposing her white skin underneath. The Yuki Ona travels on the wind and appears on days with light snowfall, walking around the town while swinging her white gohi wand, shouting, Please, please give me water, hot or cold, to anybody she meets. 
And if you give the Yokiona cold water, well, then she swells inside, much like the previously mentioned demon snow child. But if you give her hot water, she'll simply melt and disappear. She lives on by sucking the Siki, a.k.a. vital energy, out of the human body. She extracts the Siki by sucking the souls out through... Oh, and then sucking the souls out through their mouths. This type of Yuki Ono is particularly nasty in Negita, which is where she's said to prefer the souls of children. The first known written account of the Yuki Ona actually came from... Muramaki period of 1333 through 1573. A monk named simply as Sogi wrote about his travels to Ichigo province, modern-day Niigata uh, prefecture, and his encounter with the Yoki Ona. Sogi writes that he went out for his house. Jesus, if I could only read. Let me get another drink of this. Uh, mm, right yeah. Here. You're thinking about those ice nips, mm-hmm. you pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Sogi wrote that he, Jesus, didn't help. Sogi <laughs> writes that he went out of his house one snowy morning and saw a beautiful and unusual woman standing in his frozen garden. The thing was, she was huge, nearly 10 feet tall, with skin wider than any human being he had seen before. And although her face was young and beautiful, her hair was stark white, hanging loosely around her shoulders. Her kimono was white to the point of being translucent, and was made of some magical gossamer fabric that clung to the woman's body. Sogi attempted to speak to her, but as soon as he did, she vanished into the snow. Another common tale of the Yuki Ona is about two woodcutters, a father and a son, who were trapped in the forest during a sudden blizzard. Now, they took shelter inside an abandoned cabin, huddled together, with their wet clothes next to a meager fire. In the middle of the night, the sun awoke at the door being banged open, and an ethereal, beautiful woman came walking inside from the blizzard. The woman crept slowly over the sleeping father and blew her breath onto him, while then sucking up his living essence. Preston, the joke's too easy. (laughs) As she turned to do the same to the sun... She paused, being captivated by the sun's youth and beauty. The Yoki Ona said she'd let him live, but only on the condition he never speak of that fateful night and the death of his father. The following winter, the young man was standing in his doorway when a beautiful woman traveler came walking by. The man, being a kind-hearted soul, offered her refuge from the elements, and the woman accepted. They quickly fell in love, and the woman never made it to her destination because they stayed on as a married couple, living happily for years. They even had several children together. Well, one night when the kids were happily playing, the man looked up at his wife and suddenly a forgotten memory had surfaced that he hadn't thought of in years. When his wife asked him what was the matter, he told her of a strange encounter with a snow spirit years ago, wondering if it all had simply been a dream. Suddenly a smile fell from his wife's face, and she revealed that she herself was that same very Yuki Ona, and she was livid now that her husband had broken her promise and would have killed him had it not simply been for their children. So she left instantly, leaving the husband behind with nothing but regret and sorrow and children to raise by himself. That reminds me of that story in the movie. Uh, was it like Michelle Pfeiffer was like a witch and the little boy came over and uh, maybe it wasn't Michelle Pfeiffer. Anyways, it was some actress and she locked up this this kid in a box and he was like about to be eaten. And he was like, oh, let me read you stories from this book. And so like. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, you know the one I'm talking about? Uh, anyway, it's the same I fucking. I just watched the first half of that the other day. Yeah. yeah. Tales it's... from the Dark Side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same fucking story was in there except it being a, you know, a nice voluptuous half-naked Japanese woman out in the, the tundra. It was this guy was obsessed with gargoyles and was, like, building gargoyle statues, and then all of a sudden, like, this, I don't know, this lady shows up and they fall in love. 
And then, it, like, the, the gargoyle follows him home from the bar one night and was like, oh, don't mm-hmm. say anything about your encounter. And so then the next day, it's a beautiful woman in his apartment. Ooh, la, la, bangity, bang, bang. He becomes like a, you know, like a world-famous artist. And then he's just like, did I ever tell you about the time? And then all of a sudden, like, her tits flop out and she turns into a gargoyle. Boom! And, like, Uh-oh. rips his throat out. And I'm just like, wait a minute, I've heard this story before. God damn it, Hollywood. <laughs> no original thought whatsoever. Uh, yeah. <sighs> oh, man, that's too bad. That's too bad. I'm sorry if I gave you spoilers uh, for that, that if you haven't seen that part yet. It's like Maybe. one story out of like four. Yeah, it's fine. Well, that's funny because your story actually falls very similarly in line with the Surara-ona, the icicle woman. Ooh. Now, the Japanese icicle woman may be deemed naughty or possibly nice. It really depends on how you look at it. The Sarara Ona story start out the same as every single other story. A lonely man gazes out of the window and marvels at the sight of a beautiful tantalizing icicle. You know, Preston, you've been there. Yeah. Hanging from his roof eaves. As he stares deeply into the crystal structure, he wishes upon the icicle he could meet a woman just as beautiful as the icicle to ease the pains of his loneliness. And again, um, we'd like to also say doctors probably say you shouldn't masturbate with icicles either. Yeah. Or if you're trying to ease the pain of your own icicle, you should probably go to the doctor and maybe get that looked at. So, yeah, there's there's that. If you've had an icicle for more than four hours, seek medical yeah. attention. <laughs> and just like magic, a woman fitting the description shows up the very next day at his doorstep. The woman appears at the man's door, seeking refuge from a massive sudden snowstorm. The man lets the beautiful woman in, and they fall in love. And the woman decides she'll stick around never to leave because she lost this man for a husband. The two become husband and wife. And as soon as the couple decide they're married, they're married. You know, there's no official ceremony. Life is good for a while. The man's new wife is attentive enough and loving to his every need that he hoped for. But things slowly begin to go wrong because... There's rarely ever a happy ending in a lot of these Japanese folklores, right? And the story usually breaks off into one of two endings. Either A, the man is overjoyed at his new wife but worried too because he can't help but notice that his new bride never seems to take a shower, even on the most chilly of nights. Eh, You know, we all get a little funky after a while, folks. Unless you're... uh... The the all right all right guy. <clears throat> Apparently he hasn't showered. In, yeah, he hasn't showered in years, and uh, his funk is like uh, the most godliest musk in the universe, and melts men and women's hearts. Hmm. hmm. I bet he still washes his balls. No, according to him, no. <laughs> That's all natural ball owl. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> well, the man starts to worry that his wife's not taking a shower, begins to worry about her health. Surely she'll take sick if he, she doesn't at least warm herself in a bath when the nights get so cold. Not to mention, you know, like cleanliness. Yeah. Time after time, he entreats her to a bath, and they're married now, and he assures her she shouldn't feel shy or ashamed of her body if that's the problem. But try as she might, the woman demurs, but eventually she can no longer refuse her husband. So after he prepares a warm bath for her, he busies himself outside of the house so she can enjoy a soak by herself. Hours pass by, the man becomes worried about her and thus falls, um, and wonders if she has thus fallen asleep. He goes back inside to check on her and finds the tub empty with only a few frozen shards of shattered icicles laying around the outside of the bath, slowly melting away. In other stories, it ends roughly the same way. The woman doesn't go to the bath, however. She goes to the kitchen to heat up some sake for her husband. After a long wait, he realizes she's nowhere to be seen, only to discover shattered icicle shards around empty sake cups on the floor. Well, no snowy yokai tale can be complete without 
the Oshiroi Baba. The yes. Snow hag. Dude, you had me at the word this hag. Yokai, uh, I know I would, yeah. Yeah. This is the yokai that likes to party, Preston. She's an ancient woman with a black... Oh. <laughs> See, I thought I was getting attacked by that Turkish monster. She's an ancient woman with a back severely bent by age. She leans over a bamboo cane wearing a ragged kimono and a massive straw umbrella that's covered in a heavy layer of snow. In one hand, she's got a bottle of sake, and in the other, she's dragging a bunch of broken mirrors. This yokai woman who comes out during heavy snowstorms brings hot sake for those in need, like some kind of alcohol-bearing Santa Claus. Oh, I like her already. Yeah, well, hold on there, Presto. You know, you want more hags, I got more hags, because that one is kind of boring. This one's really going to heat things up. Hopping on one foot and eternally hunting for children to eat. Don't look now, Preston. It's the Yukinba, one of Japan's most horrible snow monsters. The Yukinba looks like a nightmare, a giant old woman's head hopping upon one single leg with sharp, biting teeth and little stubby, grabby hands. Like T-Rex hands? She said to sn- <laughs> She said to sneak around hiding behind trees... And when she sees unsuspecting victims, she calls out, disguising her voice as a harmless elderly woman. Oh, hello. Oh, hello, kind young man. You don't have to do the accent, God. (laughs) Please, please, young man, I need help. And then, boom, as soon as the victim hears Preston's terrible accents, usually a man, by the way, who answers the Yukinba, she jumps out from her hiding place, and tears a throat out of the unsuspecting victim. Surprise, motherfucker. (laughs) But don't you worry, because they also like to hide and call out to children in an old woman's voice, preying on the trusting nature of a child's goodwill. They oftentimes lure children in close and then eat them. Parents in the frozen countries, especially Ichigo, and that's going to be modern-day uh, Niigata, warn their children don't go outside to play on nights when the Yukinba are known to be hunting. And it kind of reminds me of one of my favorite yokais, the Kasa Obaki, the little umbrellas with the one little eyeball and the long gangly tongue that jump around on one little leg. They're adorable and don't try to eat children. Well, as we near the end of the episode, I've got one more quick yokai. We've, you know, really delved into the ladies, but what about the men, you might ask? Well, there's one particularly badass yokai that I thought I'd end things with here. We're talking about none other than the Yuki Gigi, a.k.a. the Old Man of the Snow. Mm. So imagine, if you will, Preston, we have the ill-fated Farmer's Almanac. Will we have a lot of snow? Are the caterpillars especially hairy this time of year? Are the squirrels a little fluffier than normal? Well, those are the things we use to figure out if we're going to have a good harvest next year. But in certain parts of Japan, they actually rely on Yukijiji to let them know what's coming down the mountain. It's said every year in March, the snow comes tumbling down from the mountains in an avalanche. Along with the avalanche, though, which oddly only comes at night, is the Yukijiji, an old man dressed as white as the snow, with white skin, white flowing hair, and a white kimono, bearing one single white staff with plated paper streamers. He rides the avalanche down from the mountains just like a professional snowboarder. Seated upon it as the snow tumbles down the slopes, depending on how far away the avalanche travels, the Yukijiji will then either bring a good harvest or a poor one. The Yukijiji is thought to be an ancient mountain god properly termed as a kami, not even a yokai in some cases. The presence of his staff, used in Shinto rituals, marks him as a sacred god with his connection to the harvest. So yeah, there you go. You want to have a good harvest? Just hope that this, you know, old man snow surfer wants to come down the mountain and makes it right past your village covering your crops, thus to ensure you have a good season. So if Sean White, Tony Hawk, and Yoko Ono had a three-way, he would be the outcome? Um, sure. 
Okay. I just needed you to help me put it in perspective. <laughs> I need to visually see it. He's right, riding down the mountain. He's like, oh, <laughs> surprise. You get shit. <laughs> What's in the box? <laughs> well, Presto, buddy, that was a good time, man. Um, I really enjoyed delving into some Japanese and some Native American folklore here. So um, you got anything else or has our tank runneth dry? I think our t- tank is runneth dry. Like we're kind of screwed for next next Christmas. Hmm. Like we might just have to do a rerun because I don't, <laughs> man. We've we've delved into like so much. Unless I I go back and be like, let's talk about you know the the Babylonians and the the <laughs> moon being born. Merry Christmas! And people are like, what the fuck are those guys going on about? Like, I don't know, I man. Just, I don't think it's good. You know what Christmas story we've never actually tackled, which I'm kind of surprised? Old Whitley Strieber no. and Communion. Because you haven't read the story. No, that happened on Christmas? Yeah, yeah. Technically, the, a no, lot of that happened I on was, Christmas. We were uh, today getting ready for Blake's bedroom being built, so I had to like resuffle shit out of that room and put it in the main room of the basement, and... Like, there was a stack of books on the shelf in there, and I picked it up, and I'm like, communion! <laughs> That's what happened to that book. Hey, that is a good Whoops. mystery, because I did ask you, like, two years ago, and you're like, I don't really know what happened to that. Uh, you should also have a copy of yeah. Transformation, which is the follow-up story to communion. But I There was, like, five books in that, that stack, and they all looked like uh, hand-me-downs from Sean that had to deal with aliens and UFOs. So... <laughs> You know, it sounds about right, buddy. It sounds about right. Yeah. Well, I think that would be one we should topple, uh, topple, top, Jesus, again, daddy's been drinking. We should tackle next year, a topic we should tackle, uh, because yeah, it is kind of a Christmas story, technically so. Yeah, I think uh, for next Christmas, uh, 11.1% oh boy. Uh, French Toast Bastard, yeah, yeah. Normally, I'm not this funny, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I am not this well, funny. Well, you know what? While you're still on fire, let's get out of here, folks. We hope you have a yeah. wonderful holiday season, no matter what you're celebrating. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Um, happy Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Whatever you're celebrating, we hope you have a good one. We hope you have a safe and fun time. We hope you've given you lots of great topics to talk about at the dinner table um, to scare off, you know, creepy uncles and, you know, stuff like that. So. Or if you're traveling and you got snuck in a, like a blizzard or something and you're on the bypass and you have to sit there in your fucking car for three hours and you're like, how am I going to get through this winter debacle? Mm-hmm. Holler at your yeah. boys. That's what we're here for. And, we, you know, we hope we passed the time and made everything better yeah, for you. Yeah, if you giggled once, our job here is done. Yeah. And before we get out of here, I do want to thank everybody who dipped in to, uh, to watch, to comment, to laugh. Uh, we really appreciate you guys. We'll be doing a lot more of these uh, more often as well, um, with plenty more notice, too, because um, life's been wild like it always is. So we'll start planning ahead. This um, Preston, you've done a lot of work, and this is really easy for me. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. I- I created a very nice fancy overlay with a, a lime green mm-hmm. bar and, uh, you know, cre- creepy text and our logo. Yeah, and man, I really jazzed it up from last you time. You really made it so. special. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're on... I tried. If you're on the social medias, please check us out. PXL Paranormal over on Instagram. We are the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast over on Facebook. Um, of course, we have the YouTube channel here, which a lot of you folks tuned in on. Presto, we had a little more progress on that, yeah? Dude, we're up to like 226 subscribers. Okay. I pulled up the email that they sent us. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I had to switch back over to my other account so I could read the show notes. But it was like. 27,000 view minutes uh like it it just how was your year of 2022 and i'm like oh my god like 2022 on youtube was amazing Mm -hmm. i can't believe people are watching this like (laughs) whoa getting we're getting them numbers boy well i mean again we're getting them and we're yeah we're up to 226 subscribers we have 148 videos 
Um, so if you're watching this tonight, Kevin, John, and anybody else that commented, like, subscribe, and share with all your friends. Tell them all about it because they can go back and watch this live video and put a, a face to the voice and uh, have a grand old time mm -hmm. for Christmas. Hell yeah, man. Definitely. And then, um, man, there was something else I was thinking of, and it kind of escaped me here. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's gone now like a fart in the wind, so any hoozle. Um, thanks again, everybody, for joining us and for watching. Um, we appreciate the support. Uh, and if you could, please rate and review us on iTunes now on this new feed. We've had a few uh, ratings trickle in. We appreciate that. If you're on Spotify, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating on there as well, it really does help, especially gain some momentum back from having to switch over that feed. That would be greatly appreciated. And um, you know what? Keep the emails coming, too. We'd love to get some more listener stories from you guys to share. It would be a fantastic thing if we could. And I don't know, man. I was thinking about maybe putting out the old APB uh, for some questions. Maybe we could finish out the year doing a uh, Ask Me Anything like we normally do. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard... If you're out in the Japanese forest in the middle of winter and you come across some, some ice nips and you need to warm those puppies up, what better way to do it than a little Big Dobbs beard bomb in your beard? That's right. That's how you spice up your life with Big Dobbs beard bomb. And you can go over to BigDobbsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20 percent off your order mm. and pick yourself up some scents like bay rum those will melt those nips super quick mm -hmm. fresh citrus mints and the old time favorite classic Huzzah. get it all and get it at dobbs look at that that was fantastic and if you're in the wichita area please stop by see our beautiful wonderful friend leslie and the rest of the gang over at cd trade post pawnee and seneca and I want to drop a couple more plugs here. And if you're in the Wichita area, also check out The Gate, which is a really badass record store, horror merchandise store, heavy metal store. It's a fantastic place. Go check out The Record Ship, another brand new local record store. Um, they're fantastic. I actually found a um, highly sought after copy of the Halloween 3 vinyl over there. Um, Spectrum oh. Music is pretty badass as well. Another really yeah. killer local record store. Uh, there's a lot of really cool stores here in town. Um, skip Starbucks. Everybody goes there. Instead, check out Espresso to Go Go. They're fantastic. Uh, if you're looking for some really unique gifts, go buy Lucinda's down in Old Town. There's some really badass stuff down there. There's so much cool stuff in Wichita, man. Um, you know, shop local, all that good stuff. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, until next time, folks. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky, and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.